It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Friday afternoon or maybe a Saturday morning, a Saturday evening, maybe even Sunday, whenever you're listening to the podcast. Brian Sharetta is our guest today from American Soccer Now. Uh, you can also sometimes find his work at the New York Times and other outlets. You've probably probably been reading his stuff for as long as I have, which I think is six or seven or eight years at this point. Brian, how are you, man? Thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime, man. It's a pleasure to be on. Lots to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I was trying to think of the last time I actually saw you in person. I want to say it was like the Gold Cup like five years ago, or, or maybe was it the was it the Copa America? Were you in town yeah, for that? I think it was the Copa against Paraguay when uh, when the U.S. Uh, advanced uh, to, the, to the knockout stages. U.S. and Paraguay, yes, 2016. Okay, so it was sooner than I thought. For some reason, I kept going back to the, the Gold Cup for some reason, but I actually have seen you in person in in re- as recently as a couple years so that's good <laughs> there we go because now that i'm doing basketball i don't see anybody anymore you know what i mean <laughs> well i gotta start doing basketball now. <laughs> well there's like a there's like a million games man i can't get enough of it i got the sixers and the hawks tonight i'm sure the sixers will beat the crap out of them by like uh 25 points and then we'll be on to the next game you know so yeah i'm a depressed um uh, uh georgetown hoyas fan so uh <laughs> you know there's um That's right. Yeah, me neither. I don't think we've won a conference game this year, but we're not here to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union, who traded every single one of their draft picks uh, for allocation money instead. Uh, I I, I wasn't really surprised by it. I thought it was an interesting move, probably a good move in the end. What uh, what was your takeaway when you saw that cross the wire? It's interesting because I, I guess I was kind of hypocritical in my initial response to it because I went out on Twitter and I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, they have this academy. They've put a lot of money into the academy. They like what they have in the academy. They have no problem playing Austin Trusty and Mark McKenzie and academy kids. So if you have, if you think the quality of your academy is better than what's ever coming through college, uh, fine, go for it. But then on the other side, I, I've said in the past, I'm looking at 
uh, you know, I look at this roster, I see Andre Blake, I see Jack Elliott, I see, right. I see Ray Gaddis. I, you know, it, so, so how do you reconcile that with the fact that, yes, we trust our academies, MLS teams trust our academies, we trust our kids at age 18 and 19, but you can probably still find value in the margins if you look for it. Yeah, you can have you can draft well and use your academy well. I mean, it's just if there are good picks to be had in the draft, um, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't say, well, we're just going to trust our academy too, because you know, it, it, it creates kind of like a false impression that that you have to have both. Um, that you can only have one. I mean, I'm sorry, you can uh, you can have both. You can draft well. Um, you know, I mean, look, you could. For example, I remember you know when the Red Bulls drafted Tim Ream. I mean, and that was on the heels, you know, of when they, you know, when you're starting to see uh, players in their academy pop through as yeah. well. So, yeah, right. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting uh, what they think. I mean, um, look, I agree that the combine is a terrible way to um, evaluate players. Yeah, yeah. Maybe and maybe the fact is if you are going to do the draft right. Um, you know, it is costly, and, and you know, to monitor college soccer is, is a full-time job, and, and it takes an awful lot of work because the level of play is, you know, I'm not, I don't say it's horrible like a lot of people do, but I'll say it's, it's unbelievably uneven. Um, you know, it's really tough to stand out if you are a really good player um, in college because, you know, you, there is a lot of bad players and often on the same team, too, so it's really tough to stand out. So to understand who's going to make it professionally and who's not um, in college takes a lot of work, and you know the combine really does a disservice to that. And and so it might just say like, you know, it's just not worth the effort. But again, you know, if if, if someone else drafts like a like a really good player and a third pick he could have had, like it's gonna it's not gonna look good. It's not gonna sit well with Philadelphia. Yeah, I always thought the combine was a total crapshoot, you know, because you're pulling these guys out of college, you're sending them down to Florida, you're having they them never play with each other. Yeah. They don't play with each other. You're having them play with a bunch of dudes they never played with before. I remember I I went to do the Philadelphia Union uh, tryouts like back in 2009 or 2010 or whatever the hell it was, and it was basically just 500 of us just sort of flailing around trying to find like any footing. You don't know who anybody is. You, you've never met any of these people. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a. I mean, you, I guess you could say that's probably the same for any sport. You know, I mean, nobody knows what any. You could have all the film you want in the world on an NFL guy or of or of MLB guy or something like that. And you never know if it's going to work out. Kyler Murray doesn't know if he wants to play baseball or football. You know, so I yeah. guess there, I guess there's an element to a crapshoot and all those things. But Ernst, I thought Ernst's um, comments were interesting because he said. Uh, he said, quote, I think these players are okay for the USL level, but it doesn't necessarily make us better at the MLS level. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the idea that, um, you know, he wants to make Bethlehem steel younger. So I think the other wrinkle here, and I'm interested in getting your take on this, is that I think they just want to fill up the steel roster with academy kids, and that's probably the right way to do it because yeah. there's a lot. There's going to be a log jam there as well. It, it, there's only so many first team opportunities, but there's only so many second team opportunities from academy to, to USL. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I never like painting things with a broad brush, you know, and, and just to say, like, make a blanket statement about college players is is, is tough. I mean, especially when you saw um, Andrew Gutman go to, um, you know, Celtic. The Celtic, yeah. And one, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he signed, you know, and 
Look, I mean, I think MLS is better than the Scottish Premier League as a whole, but I think that Celtic is still is just an enormous club and 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 um, it has a lot of resources that and, you know, MLS teams don't have, and and they saw value in him, um, and and they'll apply. They're going to apply for a work permit for him, you know, um, which by appeal, which shows a lot of faith in him. So you know, you don't want to say like this is this is um uh you know these blankets, you know, you don't want to portray these blanket statements. Um, but that being said, yeah, you know, you want to open, if you're going to have this academy, you got to get spots to them. I mean, that was always the problem I thought with FC Dallas was that, you know, uh, they didn't have their own USL team. They tried to, there was just a, no place to put this, this really good level of talent. You know, yeah. they weren't MLS ready, but then what? And then they weren't able to get a minute. And, you know, they, they finally went to USL route and with their own USL team. And, and that's important, man. I mean, even if you're, even not, even if not all those players are going to make it, you know, if you can just have your own academy players, you, you're going to see real quickly who's going to succeed and who's not. You know, and not at a combine level, but at a, but among among players who practice with each other and learn how to play off of each other, you're going to get a real um, uh, real uh, indication as to who's good, and who's bad. So, you know, I, I like that approach there too. Um, it just comes down to whether or not they think that that they're going to get banged for the buck with in terms of. Um, uh, you know the value that they got in return for these draft picks. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and then we'll see how that goes. But um, uh, look, it, it, it's going to be really interesting. I, I, I think there's a, as we can see with the national team and with the youth national teams, which I cover a lot. There's a lot of talent in uh, in Pennsylvania these days, and, and even in Southern Jersey. So um, they really got to be the leader in that. So let me ask you a macro level question then, because I think the trouble that we have here in Philadelphia is kind of reconciling the the national attitude towards the Philadelphia bringing kids in through the academy and playing your kids and doing things, quote unquote, the right way and, and leaning on local talent, uh, trying to interface that with the fact that this team hasn't won jack shit in nine years, you know. So yeah. when you look at it from a national perspective, do you like what the union are doing and do you think that that leads to them being able to win in MLS you know it's one thing to like send Austin Trusty and Mark McKenzie and other guys to the to the national teams to the various levels of the national teams but I always have had the sense you know here in Philadelphia that people just want to actually win a playoff game for the first time ever yeah, yeah I mean I think I think uh, any kind of team needs some balance um I mean I I, I really like the prospect of uh I think it's valuable to for young American players to have a place to play um, and develop their game, get sold on and have that money reinvested and find next players, you know, until as the league can gradually improve, it starts sending players to better and better leagues. You know, I like the idea of being a selling league. I think that improves the league because it makes it more attractive place to be. You know, yeah. You, yeah. a guy, you know, I mean, I'm not saying Christian Pulisic's going to start here, but like, I think Weston McKenney could have started here if he felt like that was a you know a, a route for him to eventually make his way to the Champions League. So um, you know I think you have it makes itself attractive attractive to like the next the top level of um, of American players, which I, I think we think is very good. Uh, but yeah, I mean Philadelphia's problems, I think uh, you know in terms of the playoffs, and you know I I, I have a tough time blaming. I, I don't really think it's the problem of. Kenzie and Trust, even though they had some errors towards the end of the year, I think, I think you know um, there are ways of um, of winning while playing your kids. But uh, yeah, you can't send out a roster full of just teenagers. I, I don't think anyone 
yeah. um, advocate that. But, you know, you want to be able to provide, like, if you look what the Red Bulls did, um, you know, they, they played a lot of homegrown players um, while having your Bradley Wright Phillipses out there and, um, yeah. uh, and, and Luis Robles and stuff like that. And, and they're going to restock, I still think, go with young, you know, continue to go with younger players. So you know, there, but they, but don't get don't get you wrong. Even the teams that have developed the best young talent, you know, not just in the and you know in the United States, but but in a lot of places throughout the world, like it's it's a balanced roster, and it just allows like the, the really good young players a chance to play with some veterans and, and do well. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I think that there's that there's ways to win playoff games in this league, and um, and uh, while playing young players. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I exaggerate that too because I talk about uh, the fact that obviously you're not going to win with 11, 18-year-olds on the field. But like even even Ajax is running around out there with a bunch of kids, but they have like L- Lasse Shona is out there with them or um, like yeah. what's-his-face, like Dion, the one Diong I think was playing for him or something like that. So I, yeah, I, I, think, mean, I, was, looking at the, I was looking at the rosters in Argentina, you know, and, and that, that, that's huge mixes. of. I mean, you have guys like – you have big mixes of the next Argentina you know, Argentina players, mm-hmm. you know, young Argentina players. And you also have the mix of the older guys coming back from Europe. You have guys, you have no league in the world that has more like over 35 players in that, in that league. <laughs> yeah. Exaggerate yeah. a little, but there's a lot. Well, yeah, there was, I remember when uh, like Raquel May came back, he was what, like 37 or something like that playing, yeah, playing for Boca Juniors. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them there. And then you have, and you have a lot of guys in between. I mean, it, it, it's, there's not a lot of, but the, the, the thing is this, is like when I say play your kids, and is like you just, you're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, really, really good players throughout these MLS academies, and they're doing better and better jobs with developing these players. You know, you're seeing them leave for Europe for free to like really good teams, and then like, you know, it's for teams that rate them, teams that really think that they have a first team future at that, you know, and it yeah. really hasn't hit Philadelphia yet, but, you know, it, judging by the talent that's coming up around, like through the, through the, um, uh, you know, through the youth national teams, um, you know, it, it's, you know, Eastern PA is only going to be a matter of time before like, another guy, like, just walks from, like, the Union Academy. And then that's really, yeah. I, mean, I think, I mean, if you had, like, uh, like, like, Philadelphia had a guy playing for Bethlehem, and they were trying to, they were trying to negotiate a place to keep them and, and, and try to negotiate a contract, and he, was, he was in the academy, let's say, for, like, eight, nine years. And then all of a sudden, all that money was spent developing him, and then he went and he signed with, um, you know, just pick a team, like Bayer Leverkusen, for example, yeah. and then just goes there and starts, and the union just essentially developed him for free, and they got nothing for him, and then he does really well in Germany. That is going to, that, I mean, you know, Philadelphia fans, I know, get enraged. Uh, that was, I think, that would really enrage people, like, to no end in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they barely deal with that, like, in, in like, Salt Lake, but, like, <laughs> imagine if that hits, like, you know, a, a place like Philadelphia. So, um, there's, you just have to provide your, you know, getting getting young players on the on the field. Yeah, I think it's a it's... lot more. That does a lot more for than that one player. It does a lot. It sends a signal to thousands of others that it's possible, and they're more inclined to sign with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think it's interesting because I I have to keep reminding myself I mean there's more than one way to kind of like get your kicks in this you know you could win games in MLS the Philadelphia Union could win a playoff game uh they could send Austin Trusty to the senior national team where he plays in a world cup someday right. they, they could they could sell Austin Trusty to 
um, Bayer Leverkusen, you know, and he could play there and you could buy his Leverkusen jersey and you could watch him on Fox Sports 1. What on good is it doing unless you win? You yeah, know, yeah. If, yeah. Uh, if, if you got to, in the end of the day, you don't want to be a development tool. You want to also win. Yeah, I think that's where Union fans are right now. I don't think anybody's sitting here saying, like, we don't want these guys playing for the national team or we don't care about the national team. Or we right. don't, or I, I don't even think they would mind if they were a selling club as long as they would just do something, you know. But I think it's, it's just. being a selling club, I just think, you know, it's. It, it, Well, if you know, you're developing, like, like theoretically, if you know, you're, like, I, you, can, you can have like Kentucky basketball. Everyone wants to be there. Um, yeah, no one wants to be there that long, but when they're there, it ends up it's awesome. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you don't want to see like one of the teams that just goes on a Cinderella run. That's great. Yeah, and, like, you know, yeah. they had a couple good seniors and really good class. They played together for four years, and in that program, you don't even know you know what happened to it anymore. Yeah, like, that'd be the team that 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 you know um, that you know that. It's just a machine and a, and a factory. And I think that's what the play your kids um, model and at its best, you know, is what people want to see. Is they want to see winning, moving on, and winning, moving on, and, and um, you know, not stagnate at all. Um, yeah. You know, and but unfortunately, not every team can be like that. But um, no, a team like with an area like Philadelphia that has. Well, speaking of kids from Central uh, Pennsylvania, what did you make of the Keegan Rosenberry trade? Yeah, there have been a few of those in franchise history. Well, in all, <laughs> on all of Philadelphia sports history, too. Um, all right, Brian, last one for you, and then I'll let you go. Uh, and this is just kind of a broad strokes, kind of sweeping kind of question. Uh, Mark McKenzie, Matt Rayel, Austin Trusty, Anthony Fontana, the union have a lot of young talent on this team. Um, 
who do you like out of the group? Who's got the biggest upside? I mean, where where do you see this this crop of players going? Uh, I mean, if I'm just guessing right now, um, I, I think McKenzie has the biggest upside. Um, just because I like, you know, and I think Trusty Trusty's a good player, and and um, Real as a guy who covers U twenty team is so is very professional and mature. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I feel pretty confident that whatever it is, he's going to reach it just because he's a, you know, he works hard. I mean, he's genuine. Everyone says, everyone always says, think they work hard and stuff. And but like, there's a reason why Pat Ramos chose him as the captain of the USC 20 team for qualifying. True, yeah. Because his mentality is second to none. So, um, you know, and, and we've seen a lot of guys on the U20 team, you know, over the years that you know they start their egos inflate, and even the guys who are captain and stuff like that, they. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the minute you start thinking you're, you've already made, you know, you're done. You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you, you just don't, it just doesn't work out for you. But I, I don't know. Real, I don't know his ceiling. You know, he might have some limitations here and there. He can hit a good cross, but he's, but he'll hit his ceiling. I think Austin, my, my, you know, Fontana is very good too. I, I, I think McKenzie. He does things that, the, that you really want in the modern center back, uh, better than a lot of other players. He can pass. I mean, yes, he made yeah. some great passes out of the back with the USU 20 team that split lines and set up his chances. He's not afraid to dribble the ball out of the back, too, um, uh, yep. and hold the ball on his feet. He doesn't just hoof it forward and clear it like and, and play, the, play, the, play the game like a big destroyer type center back. He's, a, you know, he, he's really... One of the he wants to be a guy on a, on a team of eleven that that helps you hold the ball even though he's in the back line and and and, and make things happen. So I really think uh, if you're buy, if these players are stock, you know, uh, buy buy stock in Mark McKenzie. I think I think that could have the biggest upside for you. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a really poised player. Um, all these guys just look so so mature beyond their years it makes me wonder what the hell i was doing at age 19 or age 20 probably sitting in my dorm room playing like warcraft or something like that but it's a new world you know um and it's an exciting one and we shall see uh what happens brian sharetta from american soccer now joining us on episode uh, whatever episode this is of the podcast brian thanks for your time man and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime and have a good weekend all right all right man anytime uh i look forward to coming back and have a great weekend absolutely all right take care brother all right, let's see what y'all have today as far as questions, comments, and concerns. Richard Saunders says, will Zach Ertz and Julie Ertz buy the Philadelphia Union? I don't think they will, but that would I would prefer to have them be the owners of this team. Uh, Richard also says, is Philly actually getting a NWSL team? No, I don't think so. The last one was not supported very well plus you know the union has to it's hard enough for the union to exist in this town as it is so there's you know if people aren't you know gung-ho about the mls team they're not going to be gung-ho about the the a women's team here you know uh, peter andrews from philly soccer page says who's had the stranger career ray gaddis or nick Foles? ah huh that's a uh that's a good question so listen yeah ray gaddis resigned uh, with the union, which I don't think anybody thought was a surprise. They've said that they were going to do this and they did it. So, um, but I was kind of rambling on Twitter the other day about Ray and his weird career path. Um, I mean, look, I, you know, Ray 
good one v one defender, good in transition, you know, fast guy, um, pretty steady. I mean, you know what he is at this point in his career. He's versatile. He's flexible. He can play on the left. He can play on the right. Uh, offensively, he adds nothing to the attack. You know, he's not going to get forward for you to do much in that area. And um, I don't, I don't really understand trading Keegan Rosenberry and keeping Ray Gaddis unless you just see Ray as being depth next season, or maybe uh, fill in for Matt Real if Matt Real's a starter and he goes to the to the U twenty World Cup. And maybe that that was kind of a long view kind of. A depth kind of thing here, but if Ray Gaddis comes out as a starter on day one, I I think that's a pretty uh, a pretty stagnant kind of thing. I'm not really, I would not really be feeling that at all. Especially if you know, if you said you were high on Imbizo and you were going to start him on the right, then start him on the right and start Ray Allen on the left, you know, and really go for the youth thing, you know, because Ray is what he is at this point. He's an eight year veteran who's just kind of an average guy who can spot you at left back or right back. You know, Bedoya said it himself last season. We have a left back. We have a right back playing left back. So you try to do that again this year. I hope not. Uh, but who had the stranger career, Ray Gaddis or Nick Foles? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, with Ray, you got to go all the way to the back to the beginning. 2012, he was drafted by Peter Novak. Got a couple games here and there. Uh, but, you know, Shane and Williams was a the starter. They had Gabe Farfan on the left that year. Peter got fired. Uh, Hack came in, played him on the left side in 2013 because I think I guess Gabe Farfan got flipped eventually for the draft pick that turned out to be traded up and turned into Andre Blake. So Ray goes from left back. You know, remember he won the right back job over Shane and Williams in 2015, and then Shane was traded. So Ray goes from left back. He goes from right back to left back, back to right back. Keegan comes in. Keegan's the golden boy. Everybody wants to talk about Keegan all the time. Keegan, Keegan, Keegan. Ray goes back to the bench because Fabinho's playing really well at left back in 2016. Then Fabinho kind of falls off. Rosenberry's in the doghouse. Gaddis comes back in, plays right back, then he plays left back. So he's just always sort of been there for you. He's steady, but you can improve. You can get better. You know, left fullback is one of the spots that they can get better at. And it's not Ray's fault for, you know, I, I made the argument that them fucking around with him and playing a right-footed guy on the left and then moving him back and forth, moving him back and forth, while that's probably not fair to him, while that like probably messed up his development as a right-footed right-back, it also probably prolonged his career by making him valuable as a two-way kind of guy. Not two-way and back and forth, but two-way and being able to play both positions. So I don't know. It's strange. Nick Foles has had a strange one too, but this is a soccer podcast, so I'm going to say that Ray has had a stranger whatever uh, Joe Tanzi uh, from that other podcast says how many draft picks or how much allocation money is Baxter worth Baxter who I didn't even introduce where the hell is he right is he downstairs yeah he's downstairs he needs to go for a, a WALK at, at some point here uh, you can't put a price on on the backs man just no there's no amount of allocation money or draft picks that I would trade him for uh, oh here's one from Union Hulk Union Hulk says in all capital letters, by the way. Hey, Kevin Dino, Hulky can't help but notice that Ernst is selling everything for cash and three... Uh, of course, it's not grammatically correct here. He's selling everything for cash, so there are three logical options as to why he's selling everything for cash. Option one, are there any fancy players coming, or is it just to give Taint McGrundle in the German 8th Division? Is it just to get him... Is it just to get Taint Hulk? You got to like you can't have misspellings here because I'm trying to read it from front to back, 
and just doesn't work if you don't spell things right. Is it just to get Taint McGrundle in the German 8th Division, or is the Philadelphia Union just trying to save up to buy a new Xbox? Now, honestly, I'll answer this in a serious way. You can you can kind of go two ways here. You can say that they, uh, you know, trading all their draft picks, if they're not going to use them, get money for it. That's a shrewd, like, value, value in the margins kind of move, is it not? But then the, the pessimist, the glass half empty person would say, well, I mean, they need to compile as much allocation money as they can because they're too cheap to spring for other things. Now, that idea is not doesn't hold as much weight as it used to because they went out and paid five hundred thousand uh, dollars in a fee to get Sergio Santos. They paid a million dollars for Bedoya to get him. So we now have evidence that they've paid one point five million dollars in transfer fees and release fees and stuff like that. So. I don't know what the answer really is there. I, I honestly think they just said, we don't, uh, you know, it's probably a little bit of both. We're not going to use draft picks because we have academy kids, but also we could use some extra cash because we're cheap. So it probably was like a kill uh, two birds with one stone kind of thing, you know? Mike says, if the Phillies sign Machado or Harper, is there any reason I shouldn't swap my union tickets for Phillies tickets? Prices for a similar amount of games are very comparable. Uh, total opposites. One is willing, trying to spend on the best players in their sport, and the other is the union. Oh, no, this is simple. You don't know. You keep your <clears throat> you keep your union tickets because baseball is fucking boring. Well, you want to see like you see Machado and Harbor hit some home runs or whatever. But for the other three hours that you're at Citizens Bank Park, they're just going to be scratching their balls and spitting sunflower seeds and chewing tobacco and shifting and you know changing pitchers every every two batters or whatever they do now. Don't get me wrong, man. I love baseball. Love playoff baseball when the nuance of the game is amplified in a way that makes makes the stakes a lot higher. But 162 games of the same shit over and over and over again. It's like a, a cure for insomnia, you know. Um, Philadelphia Union over or under 40 points this season. This is also from Mike. Over or under 40 points. Well, they finished above 40 for the last three seasons. Uh, 42, 42, and 50. So, you know recency bias would say that they would probably finish above that again this year. Uh, depends how good the Western Conference is this year. The Western Conference was not that great last year, but also I, you know, I don't think you, I don't think you can count on Toronto and Chicago being as bad as they were last year. You know, you know, Atlanta's going to be good. They have a new head coach, but they're still going to be good. New York and New York are going to be good. Columbus, you don't know with with uh, Caleb Porter taking over there. Um, yeah, I mean, somebody's probably going to step in and fill the void, but I could see them, you know, being sort of right around that mark again. I'll say, I'll say 43 points, 43 points for the Union. Jesse Simpson, is it surprising that the Union only have one nationally televised game? No. No, is there anybody that you want to watch on this team? Is there anybody uh, that jumps out at you as, that should be on national television? Big Mac uh, says, I get the sense that Tanner is truly motivated while Ernie was not. Do you agree? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't, let me see. Matt responded to him. Matt says, or is the difference in the backroom process versus now the players? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say that Ernie wasn't motivated. I think he obviously had eyes for the national team and this was a stepping stone for him, but I think he came in and did a lot of good things behind the scenes, uh, said, this is the process. This is how we're going to do it. He was more like, Marcus Lamonis and less like Hinky when we're talking about processes where it's just that we're going to get our ducks in a row and this is how we're going to operate here and we're going to stick to it. Um, but obviously he was always, he always had, he never had two feet in the door. One foot was always out the door, right? Ernst, I don't really know what the hell his motivation is. Yeah, I don't know why, 
Um, I obviously he wouldn't have come over here if he wanted to, you know, if his future was in Germany or whatever. It seems like an interesting project for him, you know, get out of uh, get out of Europe and come do something different over here. You got a chance to kind of build this this franchise and build a team and do what you want to do. So I don't know. I think it might just seem like he's more dialed in because he's been more upfront with the media and he's been more readily available. You know, he'll do those like uh, like he did that Skype with Adam uh, Adam Khan. Uh, last night or the night before after the trade was, was made and he explained what was going on here. So he's been more transparent. And I, th- I think because you've heard more of him and because he's been more transparent, maybe that gives the illusion that he cares more. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if there's, there's anything tangible with either of those, uh, either of those two ideas. Uh, Eric says, I'm making chili today. What is one ingredient that I didn't add, but should? Uh, it's a good question. You know what? I gotta admit, I'm not really, um, I'm not really much of a chili guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Not that I don't like it. It's just that I don't really eat a lot of chili because it makes me like, you know. So, uh, but I like, uh, I like chorizo. I like chorizo chili. You know, like that kind of like Mexican variety. Um, I've never been to Cincinnati, so I haven't had the uh, the Skyline or whatever. It's is that the name of their chain over there? The place that makes really good. Chili. I'll have to get this Cincy at some point. Maybe, um, maybe go watch Jimmy McLaughlin um, play over there sometime. Uh, Vincent says, "What will they spend the money on? Uh, you know, buy down for a contract or a Tam player or something like that. I'm sure." Uh, Bro Rad says, "Why? What? What do you mean? Why? Why what? Why do you have questions? Oh, I don't know. I don't know." Uh, Giorgio says, with trading away picks, can the academy sufficiently fill the steel roster? Uh, yeah, yeah, it can. I mean, there's plenty of kids who are more than more than ready to go up there and play. And that's what I was talking talking with Brian about. You know, like, you can't really afford to have these college kids. You can't have, like, the, um, you know, you have guys like, like Santi Moar, Chris Nanko, or something like that who played a bunch of games for steel. But the mod- those guys at age 22 or 23 or whatever the hell they are, now the model is going to be having your 18-year-old academy kid play in the roster spots that they had. Um, so I do think they have enough to, to fill it for sure. Um, I, I don't have the thing sitting in front of me, but Ralph would be a good person to ask about that. John Harris says, over or under on Ernst staying, uh, two and a half years. Hmm. I'll, I'll say under. I'll say he stays two years. And then realizes, like, look, Jay Sugarman is just fucking whatever. I think it's probably the same thing with Ernie. I think it'd probably be, like, two, right around two years, a little under two years. Uh, Mitch Dan, Dan Dignac. Dan Dignac? Sorry, Mitch. Um, he says, my prediction is the Union will play a 4-3-1-2 with no pure wingers but two Bedoya-like midfielders on either side of a number six. This is what other Red Bull teams have done and what Tanner might like. Thoughts? Thoughts on a four three one two? Well, a four three one two in a way kind of plays like a diamond, like a four four two diamond. Um, so you have yeah, like a guy who sits at the um, what 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 do they say? Like a guy who will sit at the base of the diamond. Um, you know, like a Kyle Kyle Beckerman did with Real Salt Lake for all those years, but they also had a creative enough kind of guy in Javi Morales who played. Um, at the tip of the diamond, and then you had like two-way guys like uh, like Will Johnson, uh, who would play on the wings. They weren't really w- wingers, as like Mitch is saying here, but they were. Real Salt Lake was able to create width with guys like Tony Beltran with their fullbacks getting forward. You know, um, four three one two four and four three two one. Um, you know, if you want an interesting case study on that shape, 
and they're a little bit different here. They, they changed it up a little bit at times, I think, but uh, a team that ran this something similar was uh, AC Milan uh, back when they were good, uh, 2005 Champions League, 2007 Champions League. So you're thinking back to front if you go like uh, Paolo Maldini, Alessandro Nesta, Kaká Kaladze, uh, and Caf, like Cafu on the right. Okay, that's that's a back line that they would play, something like that. Then their three would be Pirlo. Okay, so he would sit deep in the base of the midfield. And then on either side of him, you would have Gattuso, uh, Clarence Seydorf, uh, Ambrosini. You know, those guys were not, as Mitch is suggesting, you know, those, those guys were not wingers, um, but they were sort of like guys who would sort of tuck in a little tighter and they would protect Pirlo because he was a defensive turnstile back then as he was, as you saw him be with New York. And then you had Kaká playing in the Javi Morales role, and then you had um, – you know, like Hernan Crespo and Andriy Shevchenko and Pippo Inzaghi and Alberto Gilardino. I mean, I might be mixing my time periods here with some of those guys, but you get the point. Carlo Ancelotti liked that kind of Christmas tree uh, thing. And I do too, because you can still play Medunian in, uh, in that formation and tuck in two guys a little bit to protect him. You know, and then you could, and then you still playing your two forwards, you know? So, uh, it's an interesting thought. It's something to think about. There's your chalk talk for the day. Uh, David Bennett, who's your early prediction for 2019 team MVP? Uh, how about the new guy, Santos? Why not? And it's too early for me to know. I got to see him play in the IMG bullshit thing that we see him play in every February. Uh, Vince says the Rosenberry sale plus the Super Draft sale equals what designated player? I don't. I don't know. I have no idea what they're looking for. He uh, Ernst said they're looking at like a number eight kind of guy, I guess, in this latest uh, John that he did. Um, I think they're also looking for a left back in Germany, but I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Unless I'm right, then you can quote me on that. And you can uh, fast forward to 3813 in the podcast, and I'll put it on Twitter. Uh, also, how many 90s, 90s night dollar dogs do we have to buy in order to get another quality player here in order to actually win a playoff game? Uh, probably a lot. Probably a lot. Uh, Ryan says, am I ever going to be excited by this franchise again in my lifetime? Probably not as long as Jay Sugarman's here. Andy says, the best news of the week is Mark Geiger is no longer being on the pitch. Uh, is it Mark Geiger no longer being on the pitch or no draft picks? Geiger, man, I'll tell you what. How does that guy get a uh, – I don't know. Is it a promotion? I guess it is a promotion, right? He's going from being a ref to, like, running the whole damn thing or whatever uh, thing they created for him. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't as – I mean, I, it's very, it was very easy to pile, pile on Mark Geiger as being, like, the scapegoat for all shitty officiating. But, I mean, he certainly wasn't alone in – making some crappy decisions among all referees. But I think the thing that bothered me with Geiger more than anything was that he always just seemed to, uh, how would, I mean, how would I describe it? Like he never, he always, he never really uh, asserted control of a game early on, which is to say like if they would, if there was some chippiness or somebody threw a hard foul or if somebody went studs up within like the first five to 10 minutes of the game, like he, he would never kind of police that properly. He would never like, Uses cards earlier, diffuse a situation. Then by the time things got out of control, he was finally saying, "Oh, oh shit, what now?" You know, that's that's one of the hardest parts of refing. I had a tough game one time with with a kid who was getting fouled by multiple people, and I probably should have just given this dude a a yellow for persistent infringement, even though it was his first foul because they were all kind of like ganging up on this guy and just fouling the crap out of him. So, lesson learned with that one. 
Um, Dr. Strange Dupe says, were the draft picks worth more than $150,000? This seems like the union trade this offseason. This seems like the second trade this offseason where the union aren't getting full value. No, I don't think they were worth that much because their highest was one fifty. Uh, I'm sorry, their highest was 13th. The 13th draft pick is not even worth $150,000. Like, I mean, if you were talking like a top five pick, if they were number one and number two and they swung it for like 300 or 400 or something like that, sure. But the 13th draft pick turned into Cincinnati drafted whoever the hell did that. I think he was a defender. Um, so we'll see if that if that kid turns out to be good. And then we can play everybody's favorite game, which is revisionist draft history. And we could say the Eagles should have drafted Brand, um, should have drafted Earl Thomas instead of Brandon Graham, even though both went on to win Super Bowls. Justin says, what are, what are your early impressions of Tanner compared to Ernie? I mean, I don't know him because I'm not on the beat anymore, but he seems more uh, – He's been more transparent, as I said, which I mean makes it seem makes it seem like he cares more, uh, which is good because uh, perception is often reality, right? Or however the hell you want to look at that. So, uh, Matt says, is Tanner becoming the hinky of MLS? In what, like accruing assets or like trying to find value here and there? Yeah, I mean, I guess. It, you can't do like hinky in MLS though, because you know you, you, it's in the NBA. The only players you get are through the draft. You know that's how you get all your uh, generational talent. It's not like you can just punt the NBA draft and go find the best guy in Europe. You know they still have to go through the draft too. So the mechanisms of the NBA just don't interface with MLS as far as talking about making like a hinky comparison or something like that. You know. Doug says, is Tanner's aggression uh, in the offseason, the communication with the media, the quickness in signing a striker, the various trades, is that a sign of changes to come in the union's fortunes, or is that just another chapter in the That's So Union story? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I really appreciate that they made that Santos signing right away because what are we doing every year normally? We're sitting here saying, when the hell are they going to do something? You know, Dave and I took, you know, just put the podcast on hiatus last year until they actually made the Acom trade, which was this, this week last year. Uh, Santos was, what, like a month ago? So good on them for doing that. I, I don't know. I mean, it could just be the fact that he's new and he had some targets in mind uh, or he just, you know, he came in. They weren't going to do anything last transfer window, obviously, so he got a head start on it. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, could be kind of the confluence of a bunch of different things there. Uh, Big Mac says, with the, was the draft pick trade money really used to re-sign Gaddis? Not that I know of. I saw a rumor from some account that I wasn't familiar with say that they used the draft pick money to re-sign Gaddis, which I hope would not be the case because that would be ridiculous. Uh, Justin says, do you get the sense that Tanner will still look to change formation since trading Keegan? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, they alluded to that already. And uh, Justin also says, do you think trading of draft picks or allocation money means we're definitely going for a bigger transfer? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, for sure. For sure. I mean, I think he, he said as much of that, too, with this number eight or whatever the hell guy they're looking for. So any look, when you're, when you're, <clears throat> when you're cheap as hell, find any kind of allocation money to help you out, you know? Uh, <clears throat> let me see here. i got two more. Brian says, uh, what do you think about Curtin uh, getting a one-year deal, and will he be in the hot seat possibly canned if we don't start the season well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's no job security for him. If anything, it's just one – you know, you could think of it as being one extra layer of security for Tanner because if the team comes out 0-3 next season with losses to, God, who are they playing? Toronto, then they have to play at Kansas City and at Atlanta. Is that the, is that the first three? You know, if they go 0-3 in that, they could fire Jim and turn, Ernst could just say, well, we're, you know, now we're going with my coach. 
you know, therefore, you know, if he fired Jim right away and brought in his own coach this year, the onus would be on them to like start producing right away. But now he's kind of extending the time, the timeline. You can say, well, first I'm going to fire a coach and bring in my coach. Then the second excuse is going to be, well, we have a bunch of young kids and we're going to get there, you know, but union fans have been hearing that shit for nine years now. So it's, it's not going to, it's not going to fly if that's, if that's the case, you know, uh, Ryan Dietz says another bland white away kit. Uh, is that, did they reveal it? Is that what it's going to be? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see if anything came out, but I'm sure it'll be something like that. Um, all right, that's it. Episode whatever for It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Thanks to Brian for coming on. I got to get my stuff together, walk Baxter, and then go down to the Sixers game to watch them beat the crap out of the Atlanta Hawks. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.